this passage is often called the cost of being a disciple. But now read it, remembering that Jesus speaks these words as he's on his way to Jerusalem. This is not merely abstract reflection on the nature of the cost of discipleship. It's the cost of following a savior who goes to the cross and demands that if we are to follow him, we will take up our cross and follow him. Today on the Songtime broadcast, we'll continue our study with Dr. D.A. Carson, looking at Luke chapter 9 and what has been our theme verse for this series, talking about denying ourselves and taking up our cross and following Jesus. Stay tuned for that message. You won't want to miss it. But first, we're joined once again by Dr. Gary Chapman, the author of The Five Love Languages. He's had such a profound and influential ministry. But what do we know about the man who wrote those books? The many voices coming together for that one message. I'm your host, Adam Miller. You're listening to Songtime Radio. All week long, we've been joined by Dr. Gary Chapman, who you would know from his many books centered on the five love languages. It's certainly been a valuable ministry, one that has not only impacted marriages, but families and work life and even the church. Learning uh, from this how to love our brothers as ourselves and to, to love others as Christ has loved us. That is ultimately what Jesus is teaching us. And when he's calling us to follow him, it means to deny ourselves, meaning we have to deny how we feel loved to love others the way that they receive it. It's great lessons, great information. And if you've benefited from the ministries of, of Dr. Gary Chapman and his family, then you certainly know just how valuable that is. But wouldn't you like to know the story behind the man who wrote those books? Because that's the, the purpose of his latest book. It's called Life Lessons and Love Languages. Uh, what he's learned on his unexpected journey. And all week long, we've been talking about this. And Gary, I should have asked you at the very beginning, but I saved it for now. What is it that prompted you to sit down and write this book? Well, you know, I had thought about it earlier, but when I turned 80, I thought, you know, if I'm ever going to do this, I better do it while I still have a mind. <laughs> and so I started thinking on it really during the pandemic is when I wrote it. I had a little extra time. I wasn't traveling as much. And I thought, you know, what I'd like to do is leave something of what God has done in my life that might bring a challenge and help to other people who read it. And, uh, and, I, and in the book, I encourage other people, if you're getting on up there in 60s and 70s and 80s, it's, it's time. It's time for you to write your story. And you don't even have to have it published, but at least leave it to your family so that your grandchildren and great-grandchildren and great-great-grandchildren can learn something from your journey. Otherwise, you know, in a generation, nobody knows what you learned from God. Nobody knows what God did in your life. So to me, it was a desire to, to uh, let, show what God had done in my life uh, in, a, in a way to help others to learn some things that, that I learned. Mm. And there's something else about writing a book. The person who writes the book always benefits the most from the book, although your books have benefited a lot of people in tremendous ways and even saving lives and saving marriages and families. I'm curious, what, did you, what was the process of learning for you in writing this book? Well, you know, I, of course, written a lot of other books before this. So this, this one was easier than a lot of the books in the early stages because I never saw myself as a writer. You know, I never took writing courses and all of that. I was deeply impacted 
by the example of, of something that D.L. Moody said. He was the founder of Moody Bible Institute. He said to pastors, when you're preaching, put the cookies on the bottom shelf so everybody can understand them. And that made an impact in my life. And I thought, you know, if I ever write, I want to write in the common language. I don't want to use a lot of psychological jargon or even theological jargon that people don't understand. And so in this book, I tried to do the same thing I've done in all of my books. And that is write it so the common person can understand and can identify. And uh, that, that was my guiding line. Through the years, what I've done is take Thursday as a writing day. I've worked on a staff, the same church staff now for 50 years, and I've just officially retired, uh, but they let me keep my office and let me keep my assistant. So I'm in the office every day. Uh, uh, but I take Thursday as a writing day, and it takes a long time to write a book, just one day a week, but eventually you get it done. And uh, that's what happened with this book. And that's why, you know, a couple of years there in the pandemic, is I worked on this, and then we released it uh, as the pandemic was beginning to lift uh, somewhat. So. Uh, that that was my journey in writing this book as well. Mm. For any of our listeners who have uh, benefited from your books in the past, and there's many, not just the love language books, but many others who are really great and profound and important, um, many of them have struggled, and you have been such a blessing in their life. Could I ask you to, to pray for them? Could I ask you to be a blessing again in, in a time of prayer to encourage them with your words to God that they would be blessed and, and their pursuit of being more like Christ, and as you mentioned, washing the feet, uh, serving as Christ served, loving others as Christ loved us. Could you just encourage them with a word of prayer? Surely I'd be glad to. Father, you know those who will be listening as we've been talking. You know where they are. You know everything about them. And you know what they need most. I pray that your spirit will touch their spirits open their hearts, open their eyes to what you want to do in their lives. And the things we've talked about or the books they read, grant, Father, that they will come to experience everything that you have in mind for them. Keep their hearts. Draw them to yourself. Give them wisdom in all of their relationships and give them wisdom as they seek to minister to others. I pray this for their good. I pray this for your glory in the name of Christ. Amen. Amen. We've been talking with Dr. Gary Chapman about his latest book called Life Lessons and Love Languages, What I've Learned on My Unexpected Journey, a great little story that covers his life from childhood to the present and all of the opportunities that he has been able to be used by God because he's been willing to listen to God and do what God was leading him to do. What a great story and what a great time and conversation. Dr. Chapman, again, thank you so much for taking your time to talk to us and our listeners. And hopefully, if you ever come to New England, you'll give us a call. We'll we'll work together at uh, hosting a great event as we seek to build lives together, build relationships together. We'd love to have you. If you ever if you ever think of New England, remember and pray for us and pray for our listeners. Well, thank you, Adam. It's uh, good chatting with you today. And, uh, you know, if, there, if there's a church in New England that has a, that can seat a thousand people and would be open to a Saturday conference, they can go to fivelovelanguages.com and get to click on events, and it gives you all the details of how that would be possible. 
Well, Dr. Chapman, again, thank you so much. It really was a joy to talk to you. Um, I've always been blessed by your writing and encouraged by it, and it's informed my marriage. And we've certainly had a lot of challenges being uh, married with an international uh, marriage. Uh, so it's really influenced me, and I can't thank you enough uh, for being a part of the many voices for that one message. Well, thank you, Adam. God, God bless you as you continue to use your talents for him. I've said it before a couple times already this week, but I could sit and listen to Dr. Gary Chapman for hours on end. Uh, so many life lessons. I have so many more questions. Oh, man, what a great conversation. What a great interview and also what a great book. If you would like to find out more information about Gary Chapman and his book, Life Lessons and Love Languages, please give us a call. It's 508-362-7070. Or you can head over to our website at songtime.com. If you missed any part of this interview, I encourage you to check out not only the audio podcast of our interview, but also the video. We have it up on YouTube. All of that can be found through our website. And I also want to encourage you to share this with somebody else. You probably know somebody who's mentioned the five love languages before, or maybe somebody who's never even heard about it but could benefit from it. The story of Dr. Gary Chapman is so important, so profound. It has impacted people around the world. Uh, when it comes to love languages, he really understands what he's talking about. So could I encourage you to share that video, to, to share this broadcast with others, and to be an encouragement to them, especially when it comes to understanding the true nature of love. It comes from God. He loved us, and he calls us to love others as Christ has loved us. Again, find out more information on our website at songtime.com or give us a call. It's 508-362-7070. Well, today we're continuing our study in Luke chapter 9. And this week, as we've been unpacking this chapter, we're seeing the constant mistakes of his disciples. It's easy for us to judge them on this side of the cross. They clearly didn't understand what Jesus was talking about. But do you and I understand what Jesus meant, especially when he called us to deny ourselves and to take up our cross daily and follow him? We might even accept that intellectually, but have we put our feet to the path? Have we, like Jesus, set our feet in the direction of Jerusalem to follow our own destiny, our own call to love God and to love others? Or are we just understanding it intellectually and misapplying it to our lives. In today's message, Dr. D.A. Carson has a powerful conclusion to Luke chapter 9. So here's this first point. All of this is in support of the major plank. In his own time, Jesus is the misunderstood Messiah, but Luke's readers see what Jesus' contemporaries did not. Jesus is resolved to go to Jerusalem to die and rise again. But there's a second crucial point that is established by Jesus' resolve to head to Jerusalem. It starts off the same way the first plank starts off, but then it runs in a different direction. In his own time, Jesus is the misunderstood Messiah, but the readers see, as his contemporaries did not, how everything that takes place in Jesus' life is clarified because it falls under the shadow of the impending cross. From now on, you are charged to read the book with the understanding that Jesus is on his way to the cross and the resurrection. Now let me show you how that works out very quickly. Look at the next 
little section, 957 to 62. I'm sure you are familiar with the passage. There are three volunteers who want to follow Jesus. I will follow you wherever you go. Baptize him, get him to give his testimony, I say. But Jesus replies, foxes have dens and birds have nests, but the Son of Man has no place to lay his head. He says to another man, follow me. The other man says, first let me go and bury my father, and so on, all the way through until Jesus summarizes, no one who puts a hand to the plow and looks back is fit for service in the kingdom of God. Now, if you read it through straightforwardly, you can make a lot of sense of this passage. Jesus turns away would-be disciples, even invited would-be disciples, who are half-hearted or, or unwilling to face certain costs in Bibles that have outlines in them. This passage is often called the cost of being a disciple. But now read it, remembering that Jesus speaks these words as he's on his way to Jerusalem. What does that add? This is not merely abstract reflection on the nature of the cost of discipleship. It's the cost of following a Savior who goes to the cross and demands that if we are to follow him, we will take up our cross and follow him. We cannot rightly read Luke's gospel without reflecting long and hard on Jesus' resolve to head to Jerusalem. Are you among those who think that Jesus was a fine man perhaps a prophet, someone whose teaching you can sift, from whose teachings you can pick and choose, but you will end up with self-justification and you will die. For in reality, Jesus is resolved to go to Jerusalem and you cannot know the real Jerusalem. You cannot know the real Jesus without seeing him on the cross and seeing him emerge from the empty tomb. Or are you among those who think of Jesus as in, in merely therapeutic terms? A bit like the man from the AAA club. Jesus is a nice man. He's a very nice man. He's a very, very, very nice man. And when you break down, he comes along and fixes you. And so all the focus is on you and your brokenness. And you use Jesus as a cipher to come and fix you. But Jesus is resolved to go to Jerusalem. His fixing of people is radical. He goes to the cross and bears our sin in his own body on the tree and insists then that people die, take up their cross and follow him. Or are you a Christian who reads your Bible only in bitty ways? A verse a day keeps the devil away. Or if you're particularly pious, a chapter a day keeps the devil away. But then what is needed again is to see how these gospels are put forward to explain to us why Jesus came all of his words touch our morals, they touch our instruction, our understanding of God and sinfulness and all the rest, but they take us finally to the cross and resurrection, to the ascension for all of us. Help me to understand it. Help me to take it in, what it meant to thee, thou holy one, to take away my sin. There is a fountain filled with blood drawn from Emmanuel's veins, and sinners plunged beneath that flood lose all their guilty stains. My hope is built on nothing less than Jesus' blood and righteousness. Jesus resolved to go to Jerusalem. Let us pray. It is such a wonderful thing to contemplate, Lord God, these things that are right on the surface of the text that you have given to us that we may read and meditate and reflect and take things in. Help us to reflect long on your most holy word that we may better understand your Son who is the Word incarnate and see how scriptures hold together as he fulfills all things in scripture concerning himself until he comes to the end of this book 
and points out to the two on the Emmaus road how these things had to come to pass, to fulfill all that the scriptures had written, how the Messiah had to come and die according to the scriptures and rise again the third day. O Lord Jesus, forgive our sins and draw us again and again to the cross, to the empty tomb, that supreme vindication, to joyous confession of his kingship as he sits at the right hand of the majesty on high, to anticipation of his return so that we join Christians in every generation and cry, yes, even so, come Lord Jesus. We ask for his sake. Amen. For the past several weeks, I have been reciting this verse as our theme verse, Luke chapter 9, verses 23 and 24, that Jesus is calling us to understand if anyone is going to come after him, that's what he says, let him deny himself and take up his cross daily and follow me. For whoever would save his life will lose it, but whoever loses his life for his sake, for Christ's sake, will save it. Ultimately, this passage is calling us to to make the ultimate sacrifice. Jesus is about to do that. He's headed towards the cross. That is his destiny. And he's telling us that you need to commit to the destiny that God has laid out for you. In Ephesians 2, 8 and 9, we see that we're not saved by our works. We're not saved by our own righteousness. It's not our, there's nothing for us to boast in. But we are saved with a destiny. Luke chapter 9, verse, uh, Luke, uh, in Ephesians 2, 10, we're told that this is the destiny that God has preordained for us. This is what God has called us to do. And he's calling us to deny ourselves to not fight against it. You know, throughout all of Jesus' life and ministry, he's had these, these confrontations to ch- be challenged. In the garden, he's having, having that challenge. Lord, if there's any other way to let this cup pass from me. But there is no other way for salvation. Jesus knows that he must go to the cross. Even here in chapter 9, his disciples are trying to deter him away from the path. And Jesus is resolute. He has set his face, his eyes, and his feet towards Jerusalem, towards the cross. And that brings up a very important conclusion. We can know this intellectually. We can talk about what it means to deny ourselves, to take up our cross and follow Jesus. But have we put it to practice? Have we actually put our feet down in the ground, in the dirt, and ready to walk? Have we made that first step? And then the second step, the third step, maybe you're, you're already miles down that road but you've got miles left to walk. There is such a, a journey, what it means to self-denial, to means to following Christ. This is the example of Christ who has gone before us and showing us how to live, how to walk, how to love others as he has loved us, how to do ministry, how to teach, how to preach, and how to proclaim the gospel. In fact, at the very beginning of this chapter, in Luke chapter 9, we see Jesus sending out the 12 disciples. He is telling them to go. And this is the precursor to the Great Commission, as he has called us. After the death, the burial, and the resurrection, he commissions us to go and to make disciples. What does that mean? To tell other people to deny themselves, to take up their cross. And as Paul says, follow me as I follow Christ. I want to encourage you, if, if you understand this, to step and one foot in front of the other, to make those steps, to walk by faith so that you can bear fruit for the kingdom of God. This is the, the bounty. 
the seed that has taken root and grown through the process of pain, of self-denial, of death to self, being buried in the ground. The seed can't go into the ground without dying and then bursting forth the roots and the shoot and then the fruit of all of that. That is ultimately what we're calling each and every one of you to do, to deny yourself, to allow the person and the work of Christ to transform your life so that you will be used mightily for the kingdom of God and ultimately bear a hundredfold of what you lost. That is what Jesus is telling his disciples. That's ultimately what he's going to be telling them throughout this whole process as they walk closer and closer to the cross. It will take them some time, but they move now in this whole series. The next several weeks, we'll be talking about Jesus leading his disciples to the cross. In these weeks leading up to the uh, Resurrection Sunday, we want to invite you to come along with us to follow Jesus, to learn from him, and to, to ultimately be taught by Christ how we advance his kingdom. If we've been able to bless you, I hope that you'll be a blessing to us in return. You can write to us at Songtime Radio, P.O. Box 100, Barnstable, Massachusetts, 02630, or you can give us a call. It's 508-362-7070. You can also head over to our website at songtime.com, or you can look us up on social media. On behalf of everyone here at Songtime, we want to thank you for listening. From Cape Cod, I'm Adam Miller with our theme verse, Luke 14:11. For everyone who exalts himself will be humbled, and he who humbles himself will be exalted.